are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. In Romans 16, verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I, I want to move that verse down to the end of the chapter. Uh, I'm not saying that Paul made a mistake. Uh, actually, the benediction begins with verse number 25, and verse number 24, as far as I'm concerned, uh, uh, ought to be down at the close of the chapter. But somehow Paul saw fit to put that uh, wonderful verse in the, at the beginning, the very beginning of this benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. But we start the benediction proper in verse number 25. Now to him that is the power to establish you according uh, to, the, uh, to my gospel and uh, the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is manifest. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandments of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now let's examine these verses uh, line by line, word by word for a moment. In verse 25, the key word and the whole point of the benediction is the word establish. Note it in the King James it says establish. The whole point is that you and I might become established in the Lord, established in our profession, and established in our faith, and steadfast and unmovable, uh, in our, our profession of faith in the Lord. And that's the uh, prayer of Paul in this benediction. The heart of it, the very core of it, is that you and I as believers might become established in the Lord. You know, when you become converted, that's like opening a door and walking into a house. And you're in, and praise the Lord for that reality, but the whole house is accessible, the whole house can be enjoyed, and the whole house is available. And there's nothing that forbids you from enjoying all the house, except uh, not only just the uh, best of you, but you can enjoy all the house once you get inside. And living the Christian life is like exploring a mansion. You go inside the best of you, that's regeneration. But uh, you can enjoy the living room and the dining facilities and the bedroom and the kitchen and the yards and all the gold to make that mansion what it is. It's yours since you're in. And so it is with you and I that are saved in the grace of God. We're in the door. And if you didn't grow one bit, if you've been saved, you'll go to heaven when you come to die. But as by fire, nobody wants to go to heaven as by fire. We want a royal entrance and an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God's dear Son. We don't want to get to heaven by the skin of our teeth. We want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's one reason you're here. One reason I'm here, I desire to hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, the fact that I came up to preach today doesn't affect my salvation one way or another. I would have been as much saved if I just told Brother Edwards to tell the preacher I couldn't be there. That would not affect my salvation. But I'm hoping that my coming up will affect my rewards and affect the Lord, you see, saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So it will. So it will. So it's the will of God that will come established in the Lord. Not just uh, using redemption as a fire escape to keep us out of hell. Now, if you've been saved, you, 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 you've attained that fire escape, all right. And you'll not go to hell if you've been saved in the grace of God. But the great motive is that you and I might become established in the Lord. 
Now I'm told in verse 25 that he, him, in the first uh, clause, and now to him, that's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who is of power or who has the ability to establish you. And only God does have the power and the ability and the wherewith that you and I might become established in the Lord. God has the means of establishing you and I that are redeemed. Now, according to verse number 25, there are three great methods that God uses to establish you and I that are saved in the grace of God. And I want you to know those three means of my becoming established in the Lord. Number one, according to my gospel. Number two, according to the message or the preaching of Jesus Christ. And number three, according to the mystery of the revelation, of the revelation of the mystery, which is kept secret since the world began. There are three great means and methods that God employs to establish you and I who are inside the door and who have been redeemed and saved in God's grace. Now note those. Number one, God uses uh, the message of the gospel according to my gospel to establish you and establish me in the faith once delivered unto the saints. And I'd like to submit to you that there isn't anything in the world that will so build you and strengthen you and fortify you and encourage you and establish you, to use the word of Paul in this text, as my gospel, the gospel of the grace of God. Now, the pulpit could be could deal with a lot of things, and sometimes some pulpit does deal with a lot of things. But there isn't anything in the world that so has the smile of God upon it in building up the saints and establishing the saints as the preaching of my gospel, to use the terminology of Paul. I did not give myself in the pulpit to civil rights. I did not give myself to social reform. I did not give myself to current events. I did not give myself to politics. I did not give myself to entertainment in the pulpit. I did not give myself to promotion or gimmicks in the pulpit. There isn't anything in the world that will establish the saints of God as my gospel. I mean, we'll go over it point by point, line by line, precept by precept, here a little, there a little. We'll go over it again. We'll keep on preaching the gospel uh, from the pulpit. Oh, but we need to hear something new. No. It's my gospel that establishes the saints of God in the way. Now, basically, the gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord. Now, the gospel contains other things and implies many other things, but basically, and the heart of the whole matter revolves around those three tremendous experiences, the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord. Somebody will object and say, when I preach, you know that soon our people would tire of hearing that story. I question that. I've heard it all the days of my life, and yet I can cry, tell me uh, his name again, tell me the story again, tell me the old, old story. Uh, last Sunday in Tabernacle, Brother Melvin Aiken sang the old rugged cross, and I wouldn't say how many times I've heard it. I tried to participate in the singing of it down through the years of my life. But it was as fresh Sunday night as the first time I ever heard it in all my days, you see. And so I submit there is nothing that will so fortify and strengthen and build up the saints of God as the gospel preached from the pulpit. Now sometimes you might become a little discouraged about uh, the slow harvest. Or maybe the increase is not as great as you think it ought to be. Or maybe the sensation doesn't uh, show like you think it ought to show. And you might become discouraged and tempted to resort to some other thing. 
and that will become your folly and your ruin the moment you resort to some other means of establishing God's people, then you are off the track, you're off the line, and you're out of contact. Paul said, uh, uh, now to him who is able, who has the power to establish you, how? According to my gospel. And so we're to stay with it. Every time you stand up, you're to stay with it. Now there are times when you may have to uh, uh, expose and reprove and rebuke. Every pastor has to do that. There are times when I have to preach on hell. You wouldn't call hell the gospel. Nothing good news about hell. The gospel, the very word, means good news. And certainly the doctrine of hell is not good news. But it's a Bible doctrine. And all along, God says to me, I want you to preach on hell. And when, when God gives me the impression to preach on hell, I always dread it. I have never gotten to the place that I enjoyed preaching on judgment or preaching on hell. I've never gotten to the place that I enjoyed preaching on chastisement. But chastisement is a Bible doctrine. It's in the book. You wouldn't call chastisement good news. Not at all. But it's part of the Bible. But as soon as you deliver your soul on chastisement, or as soon as you deliver your soul about hell, or as soon as you deliver your soul about heaven, for that matter, you better go back to the cross, go back to the cross, go back to Calvary, and start all over again preaching my gospel. And that's the thing that will establish the people and build up the people in the faith, you see. Now that's the one thing that will keep the... uh, uh, the false prophets away from your door. If you don't establish the people upon the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord, then how are you going to counteract the Seventh-day Adventist uh, who don't believe the gospel that way? How are you going to counteract the uh, Jehovah Witnesses who don't believe that Jesus is the divine Son of God? But when you stay with the gospel, then you're going to establish the divinity of the Savior. You're going to establish His vicarious atonement. You're going to establish His bodily resurrection. You're going to establish the one means of justification. And when you establish that in the mind and heart of your congregation, they become established in the Lord. When they learn that and have it, have it saturated and permeate their very beings, they are established to the degree that the Seventh-day Adventists can't get to first base. The Jehovah Witnesses don't have a chance, you see. So we are established according to my gospel. Then the second means of establishing the saints of God is by the preaching of Jesus Christ. Amen. Preaching is a New Testament economy. Preaching is a church economy. In the Old Testament, the priests were not preachers. In the New Testament, the preachers are not priests. No more than you are, no more than every believer is. I am not a priest. I'm a preacher. But in the Old Testament, the priests were not preachers. Very little preaching you find in the Old Testament. But when you come to the church age, one of the important economies, one of the important factors of the church is preaching. Like I'm trying to do now. I didn't start it, and when I die, it'll not stop. This is God's plan and God's method. That the preaching of Jesus Christ be a reality among the congregation. And God is so chosen and so pleased to allow that as a means of establishing you and I uh, in the faith once delivered unto the saints. Sunday by Sunday, preachers ought to stand up and preach Jesus Christ. Now I think, and I, I don't want to sound a negative note, 
But I think one of the tragedies of our day is the fact that so many preachers have gotten offline right at that point. Yes. Oh, yes. And you don't want to do that. Yes, this, uh, this group of old-fashioned Baptist people, like uh, uh, all you pastors are, uh, we, by all means, by all means, uh, we must stay with the economy of preaching. Uh, we dare not water down. We dare not quieten down. We dare not deviate. We dare not substitute. But we must stay with the preaching of Jesus Christ. I, I dare not substitute a movie. I dare not substitute a quartet. I dare not substitute some gimmick. I dare not substitute a program. I dare not substitute a singing convention. I must stay with the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm aware of the fact that there's some people whose ears will be tickled if I would deviate and bring in a quartet, or deviate and put on a movie, or deviate and have some kind of a program. But that isn't God's method. God's way to establish is by the preaching according to the preaching of Jesus Christ. In First Corinthians one twenty one, God please God that by the foolishness of preaching. And that's God's way, that's God's method. And shall always be. If, if the world could hear me preach, uh, at Tabernacle, or here for that matter, anywhere else, or if the world could hear one of you, any one of you preach, as you preach and as you believe, if you had the opportunity to stand up before mighty men, the Congress in Washington, or the, uh, con the legislature in Columbia, or if you had the opportunity to stand before the county council in Mecklenburg County, or Gaston County, I'll guarantee that the greater the company, the more foolish you would appear to be. And if you were preaching with liberty and power and option in the Capitol building in New York, uh, in Washington, they'd think you were beside yourself and foolish. They say the man needs a psychiatrist, the man's crazy. Now, this world has never understood preaching. I'm talking about the world has never understood preaching. And the world has never appreciated preaching. And the world has never supported preaching. But it's God's way, it's God's method to establish the saint of God in the faith. Now we have no alternative but to stay with the preaching of the Word of God. Line upon line, jot upon jot, precept upon precept. Every time we get up, we dare not give an essay. We dare not give a sermonette. We must have the unction and the anointing and the power of God to be upon us that indeed we might be preachers. And that's God's way. Now my message is Jesus Christ. Preach not politics, nor the world, but Jesus Christ. When I went on the radio station over in China, we broadcast every week from Radio China in Taipei, just across the water from mainland China where there are no churches. That great government-owned radio complex that allows me to uh, use 30 minutes of its time at a tremendous price uh, said the only restrictions, you cannot preach politics. Well, I had no problem there. I said to the agent, don't worry about that. I don't preach politics in South Carolina, and I certainly would not preach politics in China. I, I said, I only want to preach John 3.16. And that's all I preach, just Jesus. And, and I think the pulpit better get to that and better linger along if our saints are to be established in the way. But there's a third means of establishing the saints of God, not only according to my gospel, and not only according to the preaching of Jesus Christ, 
But number three, according to the revelation of the mystery. Now, that, that intrigues me. That fascinates my soul. What is that? I am established according to the revelation of the mystery. Now, the mystery in verse number 25 could refer only to the church. There's no doubt in my mind about that. The mystery of the church. The last clause in verse 25 says that this mystery was kept secret since the world began. But now, verse 26, is made manifest. And that mystery, that the revelation of that mystery, is the thing that builds up the saints of God and establishes the saints of God in the faith. Now about that mystery, what is it? In the Old Testament, the church, as we know it, was enfolded in all the typology, in all the symbolism. And I don't know that even Moses fully understood all that he wrote as far as typology is concerned. I think Moses had the knowledge and the insight that God willed that he have in that ancient day of the law, in the early days of the giving of the law. But don't you imagine Moses many times might have stood by the brazen altar? He wrote about it first. He commissioned it first. Don't you imagine he might have stood by the brazen altar after the tabernacle was erected in the wilderness? And watched the priest go through the ritual of killing that lamb, tearing his blood behind the veil, and then building a fire beneath the, uh, the grate and burning the carcass of that little animal. And uh, Moses knew that the best that that could provide was atonement. And that atonement was for only one year. And that atonement did not take sin away, but only postponed the inevitable judgment of God upon the sin and the sinner for one year. And the next year, that Jew had to bring another lamb without blaming spot or wrinkle to, to the same priest and kill it and go through the same ritual. And I imagine Moses might have stood by the brazen serpent, by the brazen altar, and said, Lord, I don't quite understand what this is all about. This is a ritual. And there's a deeper significance in this brazen altar than I've ever been able to fathom. And Moses might have scratched his head and looked off at the blue and wondered uh, what that deeper significance was all about. And I don't know that Moses ever really knew it. And the fact is, Moses was atoned for himself until the lamb died, the last lamb. And all it was Moses under atonement, but all the Old Testament prophets were under atonement until the last lamb died. And all they had, and all they knew was atonement. And they had to bring that lamb every year and go through the same ritual every year. But there was a glad day in the history of God's people when a virgin brought forth the Son of God, who is the Lamb of God, slain in the mind of God from the foundation of the world. And that Lamb went to the brazen altar, to the cross, and received in his body all the sin of Moses and all the sin of Aaron and all the sins of all the Old Testament people. Plus your sins and my sin was all heaped upon the Lamb of God. And that Lamb died on the cross and paid my sin debt and took my sin away from me and provided for me not atonement but justification. And I'll never have 
to go to another Calvary. There will never be another Passover day for me. Never another lamb for me. No other lamb is required. My sin that is gone. My sins are gone. They're buried in a Sadducee's grave from which there is no resurrection. My sin is gone. Combined the fact of God. Never to be remembered against me anymore. Now I've got the key that shows to me what all the lambs and the brazen altar were symbolic of through all the period of the law. I don't know that Moses had that. But the mystery is no longer now a mystery. It's a revelation. And so Paul says the saints of God are established by the revelation of the mystery. And there's nothing in the world that builds me up more than to know who I am and what I am and what I've got and where I've come from and where I'm going. And it builds me up in my soul to know there's nothing the devil can do about it but stand off on the side and watch it transpire. So I'm built up by the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest. The more the saints of God learn what the church is all about, the more steadfast they are in the faith. I sometimes think some people have the idea that the church is something of a salvage program, an afterthought. I think sometimes people say, well, Israel rejected Jesus and crucified the Prince of Glory, and Jesus, the Lamb of God, died, the Son of God died, and Israel treated him so terrible. What an awful tragedy, and how disappointed God must have been that Israel treated his son so. And uh, God, uh, through his son, picked up the broken pieces of disappointment and disillusionment at Calvary and salvaged out of it a Gentile church. Now, if you have that idea, you're as wrong as you can be. With all regard to Israel, and with all respect to Israel, I want to submit to you that the church and the, and the mind of God is as precious as the twelve tribes of Jacob. God loves a Gentile church as much as he loves the sons of Israel. Amen. And God is, is as concerned about a Gentile church as he is about the twelve sons of Jacob. Amen. You are neither the same or as much predestined as the twelve sons of Jacob. Amen. His eyes upon you and me as much as his eyes upon the sons of Israel. Amen. God did not have to pick up the broken pieces. I submit to you that before Abraham was, God had this mystery in his mind. There was never a day in all eternity to pass before God ever pushed up the mountains and scooped out the valleys. There was never a day that God did not foreknow a Gentile bride as being one. And when the dispensation of the fullness of time came, that Gentile bride began to be formed. Now when a preacher teaches his people the mystery, the church, and all the glories of the church, that builds the saints of God up and establishes the saints of God. There's nothing in the world as great and as wonderful as the church. No secret order, no civic organization, no school system, no institution, no government, no philosophy, nothing in all the world is as great as the mystery. Now look at verse 26 for a moment. Verse 25, now to him that is a power to establish you through three tremendous avenues, according to my gospel, 
Number two, according to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Number three, according to the revelation of the mystery, which is kept secret since the world began. But look at verse 26. But now is made manifest. What's made manifest? The mystery. A mystery made manifest is no longer a mystery, but a reality. There was a day when God, so to speak, uh, unveiled the church. If I, I had an object under this uh, uh, piece of cloth, you would not know what was under that object, under that piece of cloth. You would not know its beauty, nor its rarity, nor its value, until I removed the covering. As long as it's under the covering, it remains a mystery. But once the covering is removed, it's no longer a mystery. And that's what it means in verse 26, that the church now is manifest. We know about the church. We have the New Testament. We know the doctrines of the church. We know the people of the church. We know the ordinances of the church. We know the message of the church. We know the fellowship of the church. We know the security of the church. We know the prosperity of the church. We know the destiny of the church. Uh, everything we need to know about the church is given to us in the New Testament. It's no longer a mystery, but it's made manifest. Now look at verse 26 again. But now it's made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets. By the scriptures of the prophets. That's, that's the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament as well. By the scriptures, the message of the church is made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Now here's the mission program that you and I are concerned about. Not just enough to be engaged in a local work, in a local church, but uh, our ministry involves making known this great mystery, preaching the message of the church, and preaching the message of the Savior to all the nations of the world. Amen. Now that, that will establish a, a church. That will build a church. I heard Dr. Lee Robinson say one time, one time that missions is the key to the prosperity of a local church. And I, I'm inclined to agree with that statement. I, I think the secret of the blessing of God upon any local assembly uh, is your labor in making known this mystery to all the nations of the earth. We have no choice. It's not a matter of option. It's not a matter of convenience. It's a matter of commission. It's a matter of duty, a matter of responsibility. And so my, my great task and yours is to make known this mystery to all the nations of the world. Now, there's one other thing that I want you to note. The last clause in verse 26 tells me, for the obedience of faith. The devil will tempt you to believe that nobody's going to believe it. Nobody believes it. Isaiah cried in the last verse of chapter 52, O God, who hath believed our report, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Isaiah is saying, Lord, looks like nobody's going to believe it. We've been preaching it by precept and by typology and by a spoken word, and yet it seems nobody believes it, said Isaiah. Who hath believed our report? And what one of us have not at times been tempted to believe that we've just about run out. The altars are not as crowded. The baptistry is not as disturbed. And the church does not multiply as fast as we think it ought. And we're tempted sometimes to believe that maybe the gospel has lost its power. I have an article in my Bible that I cut out of the Greenville newspaper. A noted Southern Baptist at Fermi University told the preacher boys several years back that the day of preaching is a thing of the past. He said Sunday night services will have to be abandoned. Nobody will go to hear a preacher on Sunday night. 
An old-fashioned week of protracted meetings, he said, will have to be abandoned. Yeah. Forget it. He said, we'll have to devise new methods of communicating the gospel. I don't agree with that. I believe God's method always will be by, by the foolishness of preaching that men shall become converted. Now, I said that to say to you that wherever the gospel is preached, whenever the gospel is preached to all the nations of the, of the earth, it is for obedience of the faith. Somebody is going to believe it. I mark you that this Bible is the power of God and the salvation. It's dynamite. Now the world doesn't understand that. The fact is I don't understand it either. I don't understand how it is that this Bible has such unusual power. And how the words of it are like a sharp two-edged sword. I can't figure that out. I never cease to be amazed at what God does. And God's not finished doing he still does things that astound my soul. And the very least one that you'd expect to become a convert will be the next one at the altar. And the very one that you thought you'd never reach, you'll carry next into the water. God does things that way. And I, I marvel at the power of this word. I've heard of missionaries go to foreign fields and preach sometimes for years. And it looks like nobody is going to get converted. And maybe they get one or two. But that's what God planned. That's exactly what God planned. May I say this to you? The church today is exactly what God planned that it be. The church has not failed. The church can never fail. Oh, but you say we're not moving forward. We're doing exactly what God planned. And we shall always do exactly what God ordained and foreordained will be accomplished by the preaching of the word. This Bible is still the power of God under salvation. And may I say this also, brethren, if you begat a soul apart from the preaching of God's word, you have not begotten a soul, you've begotten a stillborn. You have nothing but death. The only thing that can bring resurrection and new life is the dynamite of this world. And you don't dispense that. You communicate it, but only God can dispense it. Only God can apply it to the heart of one that may hear it upon his ear jump. And when God plunges the word into the soul of a man, it'll blast sin and the devil out of him. And he'll become a new convert in the Lord as sure as that. So, it's God's purpose that we become established, build up in the faith. And through these three great methods, this is done. By my gospel, by the preaching of Jesus Christ, and according to the revelation of the mystery. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.